Gratitude That's my everyday What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Quantum Coffee. Today's guest is Jordan Ram. He's a good friend. Been uh, really connecting with him over the last couple of years and actually helped facilitate one of the retreats he did recently. Um, he's a DJ, which is one of my favorite DJs that I've actually experienced. He's really incredible at connecting to the energy of a room and really heightening it and maneuvering it. And it's really beautiful to be a part of. And you're going to know why after you listen to this podcast. He's a very intelligent, intellectual man, really dives deep with his kind of geek mindset. But he's also got this huge open heart uh, for others and showing up and being of service. Uh, he's got a company called Evolved Masculine, uh, where he does men's work. Um, and he also is really into human design. If you don't know what human design is and you are interested in learning, definitely listen to this podcast all the way through. He gets into the details, explaining what it is, where it came from. Um, and then I share my own experience with it. We actually, um, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, actually pull up my chart and he actually goes through it a little bit. So definitely when you get to that part, there'll be a, sh a link in the show notes and you want to see what my chart looks like, go check it out on YouTube. Overall, love this man so much. Really grateful that he took the time from his busy day. Uh, he's definitely, um, before the show, I think today we recorded and he was, he was going through a lot, has a lot on his mind. Um, and he's just building a lot of amazing, impactful things in his life. So I'm really grateful that he took the time to sit down and share some space with us, some knowledge, some wisdom. Um, I love talking to this guy. It seems that every time we sit down, we just have these channeled conversations. And I'm really excited to share this one with you. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, uh, please let me know and reach out to Jordan. If you're interested in human design, all of the links and information will be in the show notes. Um, and for those of you that are premium members, make sure you stick around till the end. He drops some wisdom in our extended episodes. Uh, if you're not a premium member and you want to know what it's all about, uh, for, for just $7 a month, uh, you can support this podcast both financially and get access to amazing premium content like these extended episodes, plus other amazing opportunities to connect with me. If you don't feel called to support it financially, the one way that you really can is to leave a five-star review, say a few nice words. And if anything in this podcast resonates with you and you think it might have a positive impact on somebody you know, please share it with them. Really trying to put some energy into this podcast, grow the audience and really reach more people. Uh, sharing this journey of healing, uh, curiosity, the universe, um, the world knows we need it. And it's going to take all of us. And I really appreciate all of you who have been supporting me since the beginning. I love doing this podcast and I love that all of you love it as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just a real quick plug. If you want to know what I'm working on, go check out my website, joe-holly.com. And if you want to know uh, what I'm working on with my business, go to theheartcollective.com. That's H-A-R-T, theheartcollective.com. Uh, working on reviving that entire business, really trying to bring as much value as possible. Uh, really excited what that's going to look like. So if you want to keep up to date with that, go to theheartcollective.com. Also, I want to shout out my wife's company, Gromotely. I'm not going to say much about it. Just go check it out. Gromotely.com. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, and if you don't follow my newsletter, that is the best way to keep in touch and follow all the content I'm creating. I, I write uh, an update on my life called Thoughtful Thursdays. And also that's where I send out all my podcasts 
and all the other amazing things I'm working on that you're not going to want to miss. So make sure you sign up for that. And uh, yeah, without further ado, I love you all. Enjoy the episode. Gordon, what's up, brother? How you doing? My brother. I'm all right, man. You know, we were talking a bit before. It's It's been one of those weeks where it seems like the world gets on top of us and it's a character reveal. So I've been through it and yeah, looking for the bright side. So yeah, yeah. yeah truth be told, you. it's been tough, man. It's been tough. Yeah, man. I'm really excited and, and, and I appreciate your openness and your vulnerability. And I'm excited to, to dive into that. And I know there's going to be a lot of power and wisdom and knowledge and experience shares in this podcast. And I just want to say to the listeners how much I appreciate you, how much I love your energy and your vulnerability and just getting to know you over the last couple of years. And uh, really excited to get your perspective and jam out with you a little bit here, but um, talk about the human experience a little bit and what you've been going through and, 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 you know, navigating kind of the stresses of life. I think obviously in the world that we've created for ourselves as humans, there's a lot of distraction, a lot of busyness, a lot of shit going on that we have to navigate. And it's really quite challenging if you don't have the proper tools. Um, so kind of talk a little bit about what you're going through and how you navigate these situations and, and any kind of experience shares for maybe the listeners to take away. Totally. So let's, let's set the stage of how I end up in these circumstances where I feel overwhelmed. I will feel on top of the world, right? Life goes through waves. And when I'm up high, I say yes to a lot of opportunities. And I'm saying yes to more potent aligned opportunities, but still too many yeses means too many responsibilities. Uh, A quote a good friend brought up recently, time is our most valuable asset. And it goes completely at odds with the story I grew up with, which is money is the most valuable asset. Mm. So we'll waste two hours to save five bucks because money is the most valuable asset. So I've re-examined my life of the time cost and I'm so overextended that I start to feel overwhelmed and urgency and urgency doesn't create space for synchronicities. It doesn't create space for alignment. It doesn't lead to groundedness. So what's fun is that, you know, on one hand, we can want to show up as our highest self. Like I just had the best week ever. Let's rock. And on the other hand, when shit's on top of us, that's when we get to actively move through the process. So I'm kind of excited to show up in the middle of the process and to talk it out. Uh, Some of the tools that I go to are journaling. It's that safe space to talk to different parts of myself to get to the root of why he's feeling what he's feeling, what he needs in order to feel whole and balanced and seen and loved. And it's just that safe space to move through the things that I don't want to say and the actions that I don't choose to take in my life. So I can move through the gunk in order to get to the aligned speech and the aligned action. So you don't want to read my journal if you're close in my life because I'm often going off. (laughs) But this is the crying ass parts of me and the hurt parts of me that get to say what they need to. So I don't say those parts to you. I show up more as my king, more as my higher self. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love how you're referring yourself in the third person a little bit there, because that's really what journaling does. It allows you to have this almost conversation with these different aspects of who you are to get to understand them and kind of take a backseat and become the observer and be able to work through and process. And there's so much power in just getting all that gunk and messiness out on the page 
being able to process it. I mean, it's just like going to a therapist. What are you, what are you paying a therapist for? For their presence, for, for, their, for their, them to listen totally. and be heard. And so you can really show up on the page and process a lot of that. And some, you know, real magic happens. Sometimes I'll, I'll write like a question to myself, you know, especially on the computer. I like, you know, there's different ways to journal. I love handwritten journaling, but on the computer, something magical happens when I write something and it just, I just see what comes through. And it's almost like I'm answering my higher self or whatever it is, is answering the question totally. to me. And it's, it's just so clear to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And internal family systems, are you familiar with this? Uh, I, I've dabbled a little bit and it's similar to kind of these archetypes that we all have within us, right? There's, there's so many different parts. Why don't you enlighten the guests a little bit who might not be familiar? Yeah. So I, I have a one-on-one understanding it, internal family systems is parts work. You are an amalgamation. You're a smoothie of these various parts. You're not just one thing. You're many things inside of that. What parts are you made of? When we experience acute traumatic events or longer-term traumatic experiences, even minor, like divorce. My parents got divorced when I was nine. A part of us is frozen in time due to trauma and fear and creates these defenders, protectors, and these survival mechanisms, these defense-slash-survival mechanisms because we think it's needed to keep us safe and get loved. So when we start to psychoanalyze the experience of our life, we can find these really profound events. For me, the two big ones are my eight-year-old and my 17-year-old. We might dig into what happened at those times, but that part of me is frozen in time. And when an event in my life reminds me of the events at that time, myself, I am pulled into a former version of myself, his fears, his insecurities, his worries. Um, it, it, it brings him online. And guess what? My eight-year-old doesn't serve in most instances as a grown man in the world, huh. especially as a leader, having my eight-year-old show up or my 17-year-old show up. So parts work is identifying what parts are you made of? How did they originate? What did they need at the time that created them? in order to heal them and homogenize the smoothie of the self so we're less fractalized. And that's a lot of what I work with, whether it's IFS looking at my own ego persons, Jordan's experience and his fractalized selves, as well as various timeless types that we all as human beings tap into, which you and I have both worked a lot with. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the healing journey, right? Because that, that is one of the tools, one of the aspects of this, this journey of really understanding ourselves on a deeper level. And as we grow old, especially when we don't have the tools like your eight-year-old self, 17-year-old self, if there is a traumatic experience, it doesn't have to really be traumatic in the traumatic sense, but anything that affected, hurt you, maybe you didn't feel loved or worthy in that moment. You didn't have the tools to understand how to navigate that situation or didn't feel the support from the people in your life that were supposed to kind of be the role models that can create and, and cloud the lens of perception in which you view reality. And so going on this healing journey is to really have a self-awareness and go back and uncover why you're showing up in a certain way and really making the unconscious patterns of who we are conscious and shining the awareness on it. So talk about the importance of the healing journey and kind of where we're at collectively um, really showing up a lot of people kind of waking up to this collective healing. And it's not only just personal, right? It's this collective energy, this ancestral healing that's getting passed down. 
So talk about the importance of that in, in, in the day and age that we live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the analogy I love to use is like trauma are bugs splattered on this windshield of life. We're all pure light inside babies like Luca, mm-hmm. just pure love and light and God and joy and presence. And what happens as we move through life, we might get cut off in traffic and some big burly guy flips us off and intimidates us. That's boom, a bug on your windshield. And the more bugs that splatter, the bigger that they get, various bugs, various traumatic experiences. And now all of a sudden the windshield is covered in gunk and not much light comes through. Mm. So shadow work, this is my favorite, kind of like we've already explored. I love going into the darkness because the darkness is what obstructs the light. Everything is light at the end of the day. Behind it all, it's a a matter of the bug splatter and the darkness that convolutes it and obstructs it. So if we focus our energy and awareness and the work, so to speak, on the bugs and we start scrubbing that shit off, more light is able to come through. This is my personal modality. It's more of the shamanic approach, the shadow work, the darkness, the masculine, the intensity. Because personally, I found the more that we go in, we get our hands dirty, scrubbing the shit off, the more light that comes through, the more peace and harmony we have in our lives and the more we can operate as our highest self because we're not acting from our wounds. So we've looked at the wounds, we've understood the wounds, we've helped heal the wounds. Now we can go into what does healing look like at a somatic level if you want. This is where my obsessiveness has been channeled away from my engineering degree that it was focused on math and science. And then it was strategic consulting. And I'm like, do I want to be the best in the world at the revenue cycle of hospital systems, how they charge payers and bill? Do I want to be the best in the world at that? It's like, no. I want to get to the bottom of the root questions, which is why I'm so excited to be talking to you about this. So yeah, my brain goes into rabbit holes, human design and healing. So you let me know where you want me to go next because... Yeah, I definitely want to get into human design and and I'm excited because I'm going to pull up my chart. For those of you that are watching on YouTube, uh, you'll be able to see visually, if you haven't been exposed to human design at all, it's a really fascinating thing and I'm excited to dive into it. But let's talk about the the concept of the shadow, right? Because I've been exploring this as well. And it's like, what is the shadow? You know, and I think for us, we put things in the shadow, right? Because we are God. Everything is God. Everything is light. And I believe it comes down to this, this judgment, right? Judgment is the issue. And so if I judge an aspect of myself that wants to be expressed and I say, that's not God, that's not good. That's not something I love or I want to do. I put that into the shadow. So I don't express that. Uh, you know, publicly. And I, and I don't love that aspect of me. And the more stuff I put in the shadow, then that stuff kind of ends up coming out in unhealthy ways when we're kind of out of control, triggered, or have these d- deep desires that are unworthy or unlovable, right? And so the more stuff we put in the shadow through judgment, it creates shame around who we are, which creates unworthiness. And so to shine a light on the shadow is to understand that we are the ones judging that stuff because it is an aspect of God. We're putting it outside of God, but if we can learn to love it and bring it back into the light and honor it, it actually kind of starts to diminish its power over us. And we can start expressing these things in a more healthy way, a more loving way, a more intentional way. And I think a big part of that is really finding community to feel safe enough to do this type of work and explore these things because it really does come down to that judgment, right? And I think the whole healing journey is how can I learn to love myself and release this judgment? And we talk about, you know, the 
the elevation of, and then everything has vibration in this universe, right? And shame is the lowest vibrational frequency in our current reality. And so shame, something really, you know, nasty and disgusting about it is it's not an expressive emotion. It's internal. We're holding on to it. You know, someone's really angry angry or pissed off, at least, you know, it's a lower vibrational frequency, but at least we're expressive. So then there's interaction energetically and we can actually be closer to healing that and moving that energy. But when, when we have shame, we hold on to the energy. It's ours. We don't want to let it go. We don't want to, we want to hide behind it because it, it's going to hurt to talk about it. And so creating space and healing and facilitating healing, you know, especially in the men's work you're doing and I'm doing is about creating safety for us to express these things that we have shame around and to understand, wow, like nobody's really judging me here. I'm judging myself. And if I can express that in a loving container and, and the love and the energy of presence, I can alchemize it within myself. There's actually, you know, we talk about the somatic healing as well. There's actually somatic releases, very cathartic experiences in that release because we're not holding on just to the, the emotional energy, but it shows up in our physical bodies as well. Yeah. 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 A lot came up during that. So the first that came up is when you were, when you're speaking on shame, I could feel this, uh, a black hole, a feeling of black hole energy pouring in and nothing coming out. So it's kind of the inverse of abundance mentality, which is, is, is plenty. It's infinite. It's the inverse, which is no matter how much you put in, nothing comes out mm. of shame, mm-hmm. that, that internalized feeling. I never thought about it and felt it in such a way. It also feels very dense mm-hmm. as I think about shame and feel into shame. My, my posture gets heavier. My lower back gets, gets weaker and, and, and I slump coming back to the vibration. It's a low vibration. That means it's denser denser is heavier. And I can feel I'm having a somatic response to our conversation in my felt body, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so talk about somatic healing. Uh, I spent three weeks with Anahata Ananda in Sedona earlier this year. And that shit just, it ripped open this, this world that I had been keeping out because of my cynical, mind, my intellectual mind that had gone through the process of, you know, systemic education and none of this matches, fits and resonates with the system that I had taken on. So when I start working with energy, so to speak, and that's that felt experience to my body just now. So coming back to Anahata, while working with her, one parts is extremely important, understanding different parts and also losing self in the healing room, because there are times that Jordan is incapable of showing up in the way that the person needs. So I need to take off the costume of Jordan, shake off the personality self and tune into mother Mary vibes, soften in a way that Jordan doesn't know how, because Jordan has trauma. Jordan didn't get the love and the attention that he needed growing up. So from a somatic healing perspective, the way that I look at it and understand it is that facilitators and leaders are responsible for creating a physical, emotional, energetic container of safety inside of which there is no fear of judgment. There is no shame. All is welcome. It is much easier said than done because Mm -hmm. the doing, the creation of this, it's a vibe more than I can't say anything to make you feel safe. But our presence can lead to a space of safety and non-judgment. Mm. While in that safety, 
moving back in time and space to the origin point of the trauma. I have this one memory of my dad bursting into my room. This is a good example to roll with. Bursting into my room, screaming. I'm seven, eight years old at this point. And he's going through his own thing. He's a grown man dealing with his own shit, divorce and, and heartache. And he came in screaming and he was looming over me in my bed with, with his finger in my face. And again, I don't even want to go into the energy of it because it's very intense. What my boy who was wounded during that experience, what he needed to do at the time was act out in anger and scream back at my father in defense of myself. He needed to just get, get, you know, without going into it. That's what he needed at the time, but he was unsafe to do so. So what happened was uh, an action, an emotion needed to be expressed, but it was held back. It was resisted and suppressed. That's trapped inside me. That's trapped in my body. Like body reads a score. If you, anybody's mm-hmm. familiar with that, the body holds on to traumatic experiences. So when we do this shadow work, we want to create a safe container where that memory is allowed to manifest and come back instead of being suppressed. And while we are in there, being able to say or do what was needed at the time to prevent the trauma from getting stuck. This is this idea of quantum healing. We're moving back in time and releasing trapped energy. And when we come out of the experience after screaming or shaking or cursing somebody out or whatever we need to do in that safe container, on the other side, the trapped energy was released. So the trauma is reframed. The trauma is extremely diminished. Now, I don't want to say the word healed because a lot of people fall into these patterns of I had one experience and I'm spontaneously healed that self-limiting belief, that self-sabotaging behavior will never manifest again. And I'm like, sweetie, I got some news for you. That's the exception to the rule. The rule mm-hmm. is that it, it filed back with like 70% heals. And the onion is still deep. there. The onion is deep. Just keep going. You'll, you'll uncover deeper layers. I promise you. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a somatic healing experience in summary is to go back in time and do or say exactly what was needed to be said or done at the time that created the trauma. And we can do that 60 years later Mm -hmm. and coming out of that purge experience, that trauma purge, we're literally lighter and lifted from that experience can move forward in our life without it, Mm -hmm. or at least without in the same way. Yeah, that's beautiful. I really appreciate you sharing that that example and, and being so specific to, to kind of paint the picture and create some context. And I think even in our, our Western medical system and kind of our idea of reality and we're so, so trapped in this physical that, you know, a lot of that unprocessed trauma that we, we hold on to at such a young age, you know, healing that and letting go of the energy, if we, if we don't allow ourselves or our search out proper, you know, safety to heal those things and release those energies, that is what manifest physically into cancers and disease later in life. And it's fascinating that that's not really a part of kind of our mainstream narrative of what healing needs to take place. Like, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious that the emotional body and the energies of that do manifest physically and we hold on to these energies. And so it's such an important part of the process is to not like numb out with these pills, but to really show up and yeah. do the work. And it takes a lot of courage. And a lot of times, you know, for me, Sharing an example, I, I, and this is 
pretty fascinating. So I started writing a book and it's kind of a memoir, right? And I did this exercise with my writing coach and it was really beautiful as a timeline exercise. And he said, write a line, anything that you remember that was really impactful in your life, write above the line, write it out. Anything that was kind of a, a challenge that shaped your life, write it below and kind of up to, you know, your whole life up to this point. And he, he, after going through it and I was talking through, it was really cathartic just to talk through it. But he had this really amazing reflection. He was like, Joe, you know, I think it's fascinating. You had nothing written down, good or bad, from third grade. to And third grade was the moment I moved in the middle of the year from Vegas to California. And so that was really impactful because I felt like an outcast. I fell behind in school because the curriculums were different. So it was a really impactful experience. And the next um, yeah, idea I had was freshman year of high school when I started playing football. So he's like, you have nothing major that happened in this childhood. And I remember thinking back and I could not access these memories. Mm-hmm. Ah, it's really fascinating. Like there's, it's just, it's darkness. Like there's nothing there to, that's coming up. And so what I did is I did a, an inner child ceremony, which, you know, if you do some inner child work, it's very much the same, similar stuff to what we're talking about. It's like really going back to these experiences when we were younger and being the loving adult that we needed in those moments um, for yourself, because those parts of us still live within us. And so I did a, a mushroom ceremony, which is really beautiful because, you know, mushrooms have uh, the ability to access these deeper parts of the psyche as a tool. And I did a solo ceremony, inner child work, and it was really fascinating. Like I had this Rolodex of memories, just foom, 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 all of these memories. And every time I'd come up with a memory, it was like a challenging experience. I was able to look at it and be like, oh man, like you're so loved. Like you turn out great. Like you accomplish everything you've ever wanted. Like, and it just, I just love myself in that moment. And I'm just like ugly face crying, like snot everywhere. But that was one of the most powerful ceremonial healing experiences of my life. And it's really cool because now I have access to these memories. Like I can think back and I'll spontaneously be driving and like a memory will pop up of when I was in fourth grade, sixth grade, whatever it is. And I'm just like, I have so much gratitude, even if it was a challenge because I have shown up for my younger self in the way that I needed. And that aspect of myself within me I can love that part fully and understand that all the lessons I've been through have shaped me into who I am today. And that's a powerful place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Frankly, I feel that that's the most powerful place to be as a human being Mm. is I wish to not have gotten hurt along the way because the hurt is the hurt ends up being the ingredients that lead us to like truly serving humanity. If I didn't go through it, how am I going to relate with you going through? It's all intellectual and theoretical. Mm. And that's, that's up here. That's information. And information is so watered down and cheap at this point. Information, we all have cell phones, right? We can get access to every piece of information ever made in human history at our fingertips instantly. It's, it's so, it's so, non-valuable information and, and overwhelming Embodied. to be honest with you. <laughs> yes. And that's in that is something I see so often. And I spent a lot of my personal development consuming more zeros and ones about the theoretics of healing and personal development and not spending the time just embodying it, like doing it and becoming it. It's learning about what it is. And this is also a defense mechanism by the ego because it thinks that it's in control when it understands what's going on. Mm-hmm. But how many people do you know can understand what's going on and they can know what the ideal, proper, appropriate response would be to a situation, but they can't actually take the action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just it. like, 
just like even like therapists, right? And like they go through all this training to learn how to be a therapist, but they actually haven't shown up and done their own processing, done their own work. And so how can you actually hold space and be present for someone? Because you, you know the tools and the psychology of it, but like the energy of it isn't really re- real. And I'm not saying like some therapists haven't done that, but you know, the majority of the Western medical system is like, I'm going to learn how to be a therapist so I can hold space. And usually people that have the desire to become a therapist have their own wounding that they want to heal. And that's yeah. why they show up to do that work. Totally. That I feel like is the key is what drives someone. Why are they driven into therapy? Because it's a core need of theirs mm-hmm. often, right? We can't speak in absolutes, but in coming back, the experiences that you've had growing up and specifically things that we've dropped in on are, are bullying and using your voice, suppressing your voice. I feel that your greatest gift to humanity is enduring the pain of those experiences, the deep, deep, deep pain of those experiences to understand them in a way that if you didn't go through them, you you could not understand. Mm. And because you so deeply understand those experiences, you can help guide others out of the light who maybe don't have the tools or the experience, the embodiment that you have created and worked for within yourself. Yeah. What I found is like, it's really comes down to this presence, right? Like everybody, we're all just stories. We're all just these living stories and experiences. And all people really want to be is seen and heard in their story. And I think that's 90% of the healing. And obviously there's other tools and ways to dive deeper and process and somatically release and stuff. But if you can show up and be present with somebody that, Hey, tell me your story and get curious and, and, and allow and navigate them through safety of presence into deeper parts of their story and allow them to talk. You'll find it very fascinating that, you know, some somatic emotions might be coming to the surface and then you create safety and say, Hey, where are you feeling that? And they end up, you know, oh, I feel it here. And it's like, well, can you feel into that? And they end up releasing. And in order to get to that place, you have to have done your own work to not have your own story show up like you're talking about, right? In the Anahata stuff, like how can I drop my ego story aside and really just channel this energy of presence for this person in front of me, not trying to fix them, not trying to have the answer, not trying to create a tool, but provide presence. And that's creating the healing experience for them. And I believe that's what sends ripples out into the world because as you're present with somebody else, alchemizing through presence of love for them, then they can release that energy, that shame, and then they can go and be more present for the people in their lives. Yeah. A really massive paradigm shift within me over the last year, being in the coaching space, people are not looking for and in need of information and solutions. What they're actually in need of are attunements. So what I found is the value in our sessions. It's not to hear you, hear you, hear you. Okay. Now let me like analyze it. Yeah. It's like this game of intellectual catch. Mm. Instead, it's let me hear you, feel you understand where you're at. Let me offer shifts in perspective to bring you into a different state, into a different part of yourself. Once we bring you more in line with your higher self, I'm going to ask you questions. It's not on me to give you answers because that's projection. Mm. That's based on what I think is right for you. The holistic psychologist, she wrote something a couple of weeks ago. Advice is the ultimate projection. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a professional advice giver. <laughs> you And sitting with that truth, right? You know, truth, you can feel that truth. And it's like, oh my goodness, if I advise anyone, it's from the perspective of what I would do if I were you, but I'm not you. So the most 
like the deepest servitude is to help align you back into your highest self and ask that person for guidance. What would they do? Yeah. Because everybody has the answer, right? And getting them curious and allowing them to dive deeper into their own intuition and accessing those deeper parts of themselves. Let's, let's, let's shift a little bit. Not too much, but I just want to, I'm interested and curious around where, where did this like mystical side of you come through and this connection? Um, have you always been connected to kind of God or, you know, the energy of the spirit, whatever it is, and how has that evolved um, over your life and how has it deepened your connection to that, that source, whatever you want to call it? Mm-hmm. I would say I have a vastly different trajectory into this point in time than most people in this space. I hear a lot of, I've always been intuitive and I now feel safe and seen to express that. I feel the opposite. You know, mm. I, my, my astro, uh, astrological charts are dominated by earth and water, specifically Taurus. And I have always deeply identified with my physical experience. So I love smells and tastes and flavors and colors and textures like Jason, uh, Jason Bowden, like, uh, don't you just want to like, just lick the side of the mountains and feel the textures and like, yes, the felt experience of my physical body and this material reality. Hmm. So I have so deeply identified with my physical surroundings and material body. I also grew up in a Lebanese church, very like Facebook Christians, you know, Mm. they get into church and the first thing is to look around and take role of who ain't here. So they can shame project Mm. so much Mm -hmm. because it's all of, it really comes from their own place of I am unlovable and I'm looking for the unlovability of the world around me to confirm the story that I have in my mind, right? It's all stories. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with this, uh, if, you know, one time I forgot to return a library book at the end of the school year and I found it in my bag. And what went through my mind is, oh my goodness, is this stealing? Because stealing is a sin. And if I commit a sin, I'm going to go to hell and I'm only like eight years old. So am I doomed? No matter what I do for the rest of my life, I'm going to hell because I forgot this book and that's stealing. So I grew up with the, uh, fear of God narrative. So I was always terrified of God. Once I started to really immerse myself in science, I flipped and became a cynical prick towards anybody who believed in God. Like, "Mm, are you kidding me? Like you can't measure spirit. You fucking idiot. It it, cynical, cruel, Mm -hmm. and rude. It was my way of seizing power back. Yeah. Uh, So where that began to shift was through felt experience. And it, the first time was with mushrooms. I think I was 19 or 20 years old in college. And what really shifted, I turned to my buddies and I went to ask, what time is it? And what came out was what time is it? And I got lost in the concept of time. <laughs> Just instantly. This, That's awesome. Instantly. Could, couldn't finish, couldn't finish my, like the Jordan self couldn't finish what he thought he wanted to say because God took over. Mm. And this, in this deep felt experience of time as this malleable dimension that is not fixed. So I got lost 
in time and time not making sense. And that felt experience of, I have no idea what the fuck's really going on. Couldn't leave. And, you know, now we mask it with alcohol and weed and girls to numb my self-loathing and my need for validation. And then you go back to, and for me, it took these non-ordinary states, often through plant medicines and psychedelics, you know, um, some LSD experiences where I was so disassociated with my person self that I was able to experience the world in a way that Jordan cannot without the judgment and the bias and the subjectivity that Jordan brings to the table as a wounded person, also a loved person, you know, but all of his biases and experiencing the world through non-judgment and feeling as God in something that you were just bringing up about bringing that presence. I felt myself as pure presence. And in that space, there was no fear or shame or judgment. It, it was just a smoothie of joy, bliss, peace, presence space. And it was so unfamiliar to me. And it felt like home, that big H home, like, whoa, before and after this finite, temporary human experience where we bring the Joe and the Jordan and all of the parts of the cells, super that, extra that, outside of that self, is that piece of what always has been and always will be. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, all right, you can't, you can't deny that there is some higher power or there is some source of something that's actively live streaming through these biological organisms, these avatars that we smell and taste and see and feel through. There is something more than that. And as soon as I stop being cynical to the idea that maybe there is something behind astrology, Maybe there is something behind where matter and energy is at certain space-time coordinates in the world, which is the human design precursor. And as soon as I flip from cynicism to skepticism, I open myself to it. And once Mm -hmm. I open myself, I let the obsessive brain marry the felt experience. And that's where we start to generate consensus. Okay, what I'm feeling is now validated through breaking, like cutting edge quantum physics, subatomic physics now explains to a large degree how my mom can have a feeling as I'm going through some weird purge in a medicine ceremony, 1500 miles away. Mm -hmm. It explains it. And that's what I'm seeking is to demystify spirituality and make it more accessible to pricks like me who have shut it out for so long because the mind can't wrap its head around it. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love I love that we live in a day and age where like all these, you know, millennial old mystical teachings, you know, used to be at odds with science, right? And now they're starting to come, you know, back and kind of support one another, which is a really beautiful place to be. And you talked about the inner skeptic. I think that is the lost archetype in our world, right? We get so attached to certainty and to honor the inner skeptic is to know, I do not know. And as much yeah. as I have the desire to understand more and know more, the more you go on that journey, the more you realize I actually know less, right? And to honor the inner skeptic, to always question everything and not attach such certainty to everything and knowing it's a lot of it is a subjective experience. Oh, the inner skeptic, I think the wisest people I know are the people who have the ability to question everything. Yep. Yeah. As soon as we commit, we were fucked. 
honestly, because then we deny anything. It's confirmation bias, you know, like I'm committed to and anything that isn't in support of is wrong. Yeah. And that's what creates division, divisiveness, and all of the problems yeah. we see out in our world today. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's a function. It's a basic function of the ego self and ego is such a loaded word. I try not to use words that have been used too much in the mainstream, because as soon as you hear a word, we call this association with the word. Mm. So I like to use my, my personality, like my person self, you know, so it is the function of the person to want to control its environment, to ensure its safety and survival. Mm-hmm. It's its function. So we shouldn't ask it to not do what it's built to do. That's an uphill battle. You're never going to win. Mm-hmm. So instead it's like, get on board with yes. it. And that's a big way that I think of energy is we can either get in front of it and like halts no further. And instead it's like, if energy is moving this way, have you ever gone sailing? I have. And not, not a lot yeah. of have experienced this quite uh, amazing. So sailing, I haven't gone in years, by the way, it brought up so many metaphors for life because you can cry about the way that the wind's going. You're like, I want to go there. And the wind's not letting me. The thing is you have to orient yourself based on what the wind is wasting energy, crying about it's not going this way. I want to go that. And it's just, it's just switching. So when we look at life, right, it's like the ego is going to seek power and control to feel safe and in charge. And then when we recognize that, it's like getting up underneath and behind it, which is it's seeking certainty, wash the certainty off, seeking clarity, seeking understanding, because certainty, it like, you ain't going to get there. You're going to get there. So yeah, that's, that's something that I really, I love to unleash my brain and connect with guys like you where we can let these machines, like this is the most complex machine that biology and evolution has ever created up to this point in time. Mm-hmm. Like, let's let it loose on yes. the things that we want to know about instead of like, and this is where the idea of spiritual bypass, a lot of what I see in enlightened quote unquote communities is this denial of their felt human experience because they know that a part of them is God. So it's like, oh, I'm feeling physical pain, but I'm God. So it doesn't matter. It, and, and they bypass it. And, and something I pay a lot of attention to, I know this is a lot of tangenting, um, something I pay a lot of attention to in these communities are what are people's emotional relationships like? And I start asking these questions when I see these leaders of spiritual communities that can't hold up an emotional partnership. Not that they don't want it or renounce it, but their human is so emotionally underdeveloped because they have stacked all of the resources in developing their spiritual side. Mm. Thinking of like, like a Madden character where you throw like Tyree kill, like all speed, all agility, all acceleration, and you got nothing left for catch. <laughs> yeah. All you got is jet sweeps, you yeah. know? I love it. And, and and I'm looking for integration where in coming back to one of the original points of my spiritual development is I became very intellectually developed early on because I was good at it and it got me love. Being valedictorian got me a lot of love from the community and from my dad in particular. It avoided abuse 
and it, and it got me love. So I was intellectually advanced pretty early and then physically advanced once I hit puberty. And now all of a sudden I was spiritually and emotionally underdeveloped, mm. like wildly. And then I moved to spiritual development and guess what got left behind? My emotional self. And this is now the focus of mine is I'm pretty strong in various areas. Guess what? That wounded eight-year-old frozen in time and that wounded 17-year-old, I've really popped the door open on him in the last two months or so. Journaling. I went into the experience, the moment when my reality changed, where I experienced betrayal and my entire experience with reality and the world and society, like humans outside of myself, everything shifted in a moment. It has defined who I am today and literally who I will be for the rest of my life because I can't undo it, nor do I want to. I had to learn that lesson. So I don't know how I ended up here, but what's super present with me in my life right now is the integration of my intellectual, physical, spiritual, and emotional selves. It's all about the integration, right? The masculine, the feminine, the God and the self. I'm about balance, you know, politically. Are you left? Are you right? Are you up? You down? You pro? You anti? Like, I'm, I'm just out here. I'm yeah. out here trying to find the middle ground so we can all get along and realize we all just want peace and connection yeah. to be seen. Yeah, we all desire the same things, to be loved, to be seen, to be heard, to be held, to be just understood and just living in our stories and being able to understand and have compassion. And I, I feel the same way. And I love that. You know, how, how is your relationship going from, you know, the, the, the judgmental Christ, God, to what you've experienced and the journey that you've been on, how would you define um, kind of your God now and how has that evolved and, you know, will it continue to? Hmm. Damn. What comes up right away is, is creation. The idea of creation. Free will is God. So when I think I don't see a man with the beard in the sky because that's an embodied human projection, right? Humans would think that God probably looks like them. He's got two eyes, he's about six feet tall. You know, it's probably old because he's wise. Well, it says in the Bible too, right? Like, like man was made in God's image. And so people take mm-hmm. all these things so literally, but really yeah. like consciousness is creation creative potential. And so maybe that's what it's talking, not attaching to it. So literally, so they have this image of like, Oh, God created man in his image. So God must be a man in the sky. Yeah, totally. Totally. And that, yeah, that's not how I see it. It's like, to me, to me, the idea of God source spirit is like electricity. So the same electricity that is bringing to life, the lights in this room and the computers and the TVs, it's the same fundamental thing. The hardware that the electricity is bringing to life dictates the capacity of what electricity can do. So my idea of of God is biological electricity. It is this fundamental essence, a source that brings to life biology. So biology in this sense would be all life, right? Humans and dogs and plants and mushrooms, all live streamed by the same God source spirit. 
what it contends with is the person inside being live streamed by God and the thoughts, like the rampant thoughts and opinions and emotions that, that come into play. So when I think of my relationship with God at this point, it is having the self that identifies as Jordan in his various parts, having that in my crosshairs, being aware of the feelings and the thoughts and the opinions and the states that are rapidly changing that are Jordan, making sure I don't get too caught up as him. Because when we do, we become deaf to anything outside because now it's all me. It's self-centered, which it's supposed to do. As we see it, we can become less of it. I hear you, Jordan. I hear that you're feeling scarcity. I feel that you're frustrated. I feel that you you think you're losing control over the situation. And then I start to ask the shamanic questions of like, where's this coming from? What was the origin point of this? Asking that why rope. But instead where God comes in is recognizing that the personality has all of these triggers, has all of these habits that are deeply grooved into our neurological pathways of our physical body. But with free will, we can override the patterning of the self. And this is the self isn't channeling God. The self is contending with space, like musical chairs with God. And the more that we can have a healthy relationship with self and all of his or her parts, the more that we can ask him or her Sit down, be seen. What do you need? Okay, now your time's up. Go ahead and get up and let God sit back down because God is here trying to bring not just peace and harmony, but it is the full spectrum of the human experience. And I feel like this is a question that you had brought up. What, what is the point of, of life and, and how this overlaps with the idea of God? To me, the the point of life is the breadth and depth of experience. It's the polarity, the duality. And with that, joy doesn't taste very good if it's all that you feel. It's, it's boring, honestly. Like joy becomes super boring if life doesn't mess you up every once in a while. And what I have found, and part of the reason I go to places like Cuba where you can't drink water, you have to go buy a Wi-Fi card and go to a loaded park to access some open source Wi-Fi network in the middle of the city. The little things become so hard. And as I experience more primal hardship, all of the first world problems that I experience, like I lost some money doing some stupid thing that I know I shouldn't have done, right? Basically gambling. I lost some money and feeling like the world is ending. And then it's like, oh my God, I have money to lose making silly decisions is the reframe. So as God comes back into the picture, it's recognizing that Jordan's patterning experiences losing money as dying. Frankly, money, right, is the story that I've been told is the primary metric. And if I lose money, I'm losing life force, the most important thing in the universe. So a part of me thinks he's dying and God being free will comes into play. And I can choose 
to not feel that. I can feel it, feel it, and then I can choose to not. I can choose to laugh at it. I can choose to find it comical. How freaked out Jordan is getting in this moment about something that in a month from now is going to be trivial and forgotten. And that's a lot of my alchemy is hilarity. Mm. Is I find hilarity in some of the most like fucked up shit, you know, and, and I don't bypass it. I feel it. And then I find how it's actually just ridiculously comical. And that's one of the ways that I move through darkness. Absolutely. I mean, you widen the perspective out. I mean, the whole thing is a cosmic joke, really. Totally. And, you know, perspective is, is everything. And, and the, the tool I use to shift perspective, which is so accessible and beautiful is gratitude, right? When we're focusing mm-hmm. on the things that we don't have, but we can reframe everything when we start having gratitude for what we do have. And, yeah. you know, gratitude is such a, a tool. I, I would call it the key to the kingdom of heaven. If you want to unlock that door and walk into the kingdom of heaven, that key is gratitude. And if you can find gratitude for everything that you have in your life, even something as simple as waking up, taking a breath, and being alive. I mean, you can take it down to the simplest basics. And uh, I think we can all find more gratitude. Uh, I know we've been talking a while and I'm loving this conversation. You're adding so much value. Um, and I hope the listeners are loving it as much as I am. But I do want to dive into uh, human design because I know it's a big part of you know your passion and, and what you're showing up. And I've kind of dabbled in it. I've gotten my chart read and it's actually had a profound impact on my life. Um, the way I would describe it is kind of like astrology on steroids, but I'd love to get your perspective, maybe explain it a little bit. And then we can go through, for those of you that are watching on YouTube, uh, my chart because I have it available. And then so you can actually see what a, a Jovian chart is and kind of how to break it down. But um, this is definitely going to be a brief synopsis because I, I know you can like read charts for days on, on end. Uh, there's just so much information in there. Yeah. Totally. And what's nice is that I haven't seen your chart yet. Cause if I do, then the brain starts formulating a script for what it wants to say Mm. when the magic really is doing the work of developing a competency and then channeling basically what comes up in real time, like this, 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 and that. And then like, "Mm," something just comes out and sometimes it doesn't land, but more often than not, there is a nugget of truth. And like the lion trackers guy, that ends up taking us to the next place, mm. the next place. So I'm excited to dive in because I haven't seen it yet. And of course, I'm formulating all these projections for what <laughs> I think it is. And I've done your wife's, your wife's chart. And that was really fun getting to know her at that level more. So I guess why human design for me to start with is it was the first esoteric system that made sense to my brain. Astrology wasn't enough to make sense to my brain because I'm abstract, right? These, it's, it's abstract and not so easily actionable, mm. right? You know, you open up a book, like every type is pragmatic, for mm. instance. And that was one of the things that, you know, cynical friends would point out like, this is bullshit because everyone's pragmatic. So human design is the synthesis of astrology Western astrology, the ancient Chinese I Ching, uh, the Jewish Kabbalah system, which is energetic channels, how energy moves through the body, and the Hindu chakra system, which are the energetic centers. So as we pull up your chart, you'll be able to see the full picture of these four systems. So what I loved from that perspective is the system is saying that everybody has been right all along. 
They're not like, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, my God's true. No, my, here's how I Ching and the Hindus with the chakra system and Jewish Kabbalah, here's how they're all telling the same thing. So you just take this, you know, rotate it like this and you put this one over the top. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Now this, because I don't subscribe to any one thing. There's no, this one is right and everybody else is wrong. There's some truth and some bullshit and everything. So it's a synthesis of these four systems all together. It's like a meta-analysis. And it also brings in measurable science, which is biology, where different gene keys, different energetic gates are tied to measurable amino acids in the bodies. This is what's tied to gene keys now. So you want to look at something splenic, like you can tie it to a codified genetic piece of your body. <laughs> and that's what I love is then all of a sudden it, you can read about it and you can tune into it in your felt experience. And it's focused on astrology. It, it combines it all. So that's my why, right? Because my brain needs to understand for me to truly open to the thing. Oh, I love that's it. a big part of what I'm here to do. Yeah, no, I love it. And I love your passion about it. And it, there is just so many layers and so much depth to it, which I think your energy and mind and intellectual need for understanding, it really serves that because then you can just keep going down and keep continuing to evolve and find deeper layers. I, I, I'm a little bit familiar, but I'd love to get your perspective. Like, where did it come from? I, I've heard it's like someone just kind of channeled it and just, yeah. it just became a thing, but it's, and it's wild for people that don't, aren't really open to that, how that's possible. So maybe where's, where did it originate and how did that person access this information when it's so complicated and so dense? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great question, because it sounds kind of bonkers to say with your voice, but you have to be open to the idea. Mm -hmm. Ra Uruhu got hit with a voice in the 80s that essentially said like, yo, I have some really important shit. Write this down. And for seven days, he transcribed what this voice that appeared inside of his awareness was saying. Through transcription, reverse engineering, the system that was transcribed, it was like, wait, this is a whole system. And so the idea is that the voice came through and the voice said, write all this down. I'm here to connect the dots between this truth and that truth and that truth and express and explain how they're all saying the same thing. And they're all right and accurate to a large degree. That's the origin of the system, which if you think that's bonkers, like it's an uphill battle. And part of me is still like, what really is channeling? But guess what? He was right because he connected all of these dots that created the system that's proven to be quite accurate. Yeah. And it's hard to argue with like, where did it come from? If you, it, it, you know, I've, I've been writing my book for a year and a half and I still don't know what direction I'm going for someone to transcribe such powerful information in seven days. There has to be yeah. some kind of intelligence coming through and what that is. It's okay not to know. And I think the not knowing and that's where real faith comes in. I did want to ask before we get into my chart and getting kind of specific and, and showing people kind of how it works and the reading and the energy and how it's all connected because it is really dense. Um, I've heard something around this 2027 event in, yeah. um, in this kind of energy works or astrology or whatever. So can you explain a little bit about that just for my own curiosity? Yeah. So I am not in tune with the Galactic Federation or any supernatural. I got no intel. What I have is hearsay, and the hearsay is that the capacity of the human electromagnetic body, right, our auric field, will be unable to contain the energetic upgrades that we're all experiencing right now. 
So we are going to need an electromagnetic evolution, a complexification of the magnetism of our bodies in order to hold the energy that is shifting the earth. And this is the idea of the age of Aquarius seems to come into play, which is the cosmic energies that we're all experiencing, right? Because everything's shifting and morphing. We're moving around the sun and the sun solar system is moving around the milk. Everything's moving. Everything's in constant transition. And we're going to be exposed and in the direct line of fire of various energies that are going to be more intense. So the body is going to need to evolve alongside it. So what we actually have right now, and what we'll see once we pull up your chart, Joe, is you have nine energetic centers. So in 1789, we discovered Neptune and or Uranus, and that opened up our minds to these various possibilities. New energy was flooding in, and we complexified from seven centers, which is what we know through the Hindu chakra system, seven centers, into nine center beings. The next evolution, and this is all from the transcription, right? So I can't necessarily find it. It has been told. And this is where I'm like waiting for validity. If this ends up coming true, it's like just more validity behind this whole system. Mm. We're going to complexify into 11 centered beings. And we're going to move away from our G center, like our spiritual heart, where the self meets other. And we're going to move more into an emotional communion with the rest of humanity as a species, less separation, more intuitive give and take. How do you say it? Like, basically, we're all going to be feeling one another's emotions to such a degree that harming you and your experience doesn't serve me. So it actually serves us to be very conscious and kind to one another. So we're all feeling good because we can feel each other so much. So we're going to have to collectively come to a resonance and then raise the vibe of that resonant frequency in order for us to find harmony. Because uh, cutting you off in traffic is going to hurt me. Yeah, so that's beautiful. Just... I love that. I love it because as you do this work and you develop compassion and you do your own work and you understand that others are just so much more alike than they are different, you do have that natural yeah. energy. But you're saying we're going to evolve to a place where like if I actually like get pissed off at you, it's going to actually, I'm going to feel myself getting pissed off at myself because of the energy connection. That's really beautiful. And that actually creates this because you look out collectively in the world and there's so much division and transition and fear and suffering and everybody's so stuck in this way that creates this like, oh, okay, well, it's, it, there's, we're, we're, we're moving there. There's something kind of greater than what we can even show up and try and fix our planet. It's actually going to happen naturally as we evolve energetically. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. And it's going to get harder before it gets easier. I feel like that's mm -hmm. one of the most fundamental things we just got to, we just got to recognize. And that's like the idea of shadow work. We got to get in there. Absolutely. So can you see this, this chart? Yeah. Awesome. So here cool. I am. I'm a generator. Maybe you can describe the, 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 the main kind of uh, categories and then we can kind of dive in briefly with some of the stuff and then talking about the actual chart. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So just give me a sec to just kind of. So I'll, I'll explain as you're looking at it, there's, so if, for those of you that are listening on the podcast, if you want to check this out, there'll be a link in the show notes uh, for the YouTube video. Uh, Cause it's quite fascinating if you've never seen one of these, but there's, 
kind of this like upper body torso human head chart that has these different energy centers that I'm sure we'll talk about. Some of them are filled in. There's different channels that are connecting these different energy centers. And then on both sides, there's a bunch of numbers. So just looking at it, and then obviously there's different types up here. Uh, I'm a generator. There's different definition strategies. So this is really dense, a lot going into here. So we're going to have Jordan kind of explain it for those of you that are watching to kind of just get a, a brief understanding. And if you're interested in diving into this work, uh, Jordan actually does reading. So it's someone you can uh, reach out to if you want to get your chart read. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, so what makes your chart, your chart? You can see there's a design column on the left and a personality column on the right. And then those symbols, there are 13 celestial objects that dominate the energetic influence of us here on earth. So at the top is the sun and it moves all the way down into, it, it's not Pluto, it's like series or it, so it's these, it's these material celestial objects and where they are in reference to the earth and particularly what constellations, what energetic systems are behind that object. So as the energy barrels towards earth and we take first breath, and we disconnect from the mother and we become our own sovereign being for the first time, we are given this energetic Polaroid, the snapshot, and that serves as our home base. So this is what we're looking at right now. This is Joe's energetic home base. These are the activations based on the space-time coordinates of your birth. So what we're looking at are various gates, channels, and centers. So if you look on the far left side, you see this 48 black gate is activated. So if you look at that on the right side, so personality halfway down the column, you have this 48.3. So that symbol represents an object. That object was in the sector of the 48th gate. This is tied to I Ching and Gene Keys. It brought to life through a conscious black channel, that 48th gate hanging off your spleen on the bottom left part of your chart. So just to give that background, that is why that 48 is called in, is because that object was in that part at the time that you were born, boom. So now you sum out the 13 objects on your personality side. These are your conscious channels, all the black gates and channels that you have access to. And the red gates are these unconscious channels, which means that they are active within you, but you wouldn't necessarily identify yourself as these things. And the way that I think of it personally, the red unconscious channels are more of these soul lessons that you're bringing into this embodied experience. And the black personality conscious channels are the physical activations inside your material body. So a lot more present with you. So some of that backstory, what happens is you sum out all of these gates and channels and they bring to life different centers. So what we see here are all of your defined activated centers and your open centers. So the white centers are open. These are more receptive energetically. So I don't know if you can see me on the screen, but the way that I think of human design is it's the out and inflow of energy into and out of our system with our environment. So a lot of us are familiar with the idea of energy moving up and down within our system, 
But what about energy coming into and exiting our body, coming out of our body, influencing the environment and the environment influencing us? So these white open centers are where you are drawing in energy, where you are being influenced by and conditioned by the environment. The colored in centers are where you are very defined and consistent within yourself. Essentially, the energy is arising from within you and coming out of you in those places. So it's this push-pull, this give-take of energy. The colored in is giving energy. And the open, the white, is taking energy from the environment. Beautiful, beautiful. I know this is a, a lot of types. Yeah, yeah. So that's, well, maybe just kind of looking at the chart, what comes up when you look at this with me and how does, you know, how does this um, kind of sum up with how you know me and maybe, yeah, what, what stands out just briefly uh, initially when you look at it? I know I've been said I have a, a double split, right? So my energies on top and lo- lower don't actually communicate with each other. Yeah, they're kind of like two separate conversations happening in the same room. You can connect them together, but other than that, they're having their own conversations. So the two things that stand out right away are your defined sacral. So this is your red center, second from the bottom. Because this is defined, it makes you a generator. And a generator is about 70% of the population. You create life force within you regularly. And it's really important that generators have healthy outlets to deplete and invest the sacral energy. So these are, I like to think of like a child who is just screaming and throwing a tantrum and throwing himself into the wall and onto the ground. And you're like, this kid is is bonkers. This kid is possessed by a demon. No, he's possessed by an overactive sacral and he doesn't have a healthy outlet to express and move through that energy. So it's trapped and it needs to come out in some way. So generators have these continuous, consistent uh, sources of life force energy, and it's important to devote that on a daily basis. So you can deplete, get empty, go to sleep soundly because you have an empty fuel tank, and then you wake up with the full one and it starts over again. And it makes me think of, I wanted to buy a, a physical generator last year. And the guy I went to buy it from is like, hey, the carburetor's broke. The gas has been in the, in the generator for too long. It needs to get cleaned out before it can come back to life. Instantly, I thought of human design. I'm like, oh my, goodness. if the same energy gets stored for too long and doesn't burn through, it gets stale and gunks up the system. So you need to burn through the fuel that's in the generator in order to fill it up with fresh fuel to keep the system operating optimally. Mm. Beautiful. That resonates big time. I definitely feel like I show up and just have so much energy to give. And I love, you know, supporting others in their vision and creating and building. And yeah, I definitely feel like real antsy if I'm not, if I don't have something going on and like really trying to find balance within that. Um, what else comes up? Anything else? Your open heart center. So this is right above your sacral to the right offset, completely open. So there are no activated gates coming out from this. So I identify with this. I also have a completely open heart center. Hmm. This is in line with the Hindu solar plexus. So this is self-worth and willpower. 
this is the, this idea is great and I will fulfill it because it's an amazing idea. That's when it's defined, when it's consistent. This open heart center is receptive to the idea of value, the idea of worth. So a defined heart center would be, this is a great idea. Let's do it. Who's in? Let's go. An open heart center is, this is a great idea, right? Right? I want to just, we're in consensus here. How can it be a better idea? So we're more sensitive to the projections of value and worth. And understanding your design helps you move through the world because it doesn't serve me be stubborn and say I have the right answer and ask everybody to get on board with it. It's here is the best option available to me right now. How does this land with y'all? Mm, yeah. I just want to share something that, that, that human design and getting my chart read for the first time really helped in, in me in my life. And just a practical example of why I think this is so beneficial to really understand your energy and how you show up in the world. And, and it's allowed me to not judge myself so much. So one of my things I feel I'm feeling called to do and, and really stepping into this kind of public speaker and teacher and sharing, mm-hmm. right. But I've had this humiliation wound when I'm was in fourth grade, I was up in front of the class. I froze. I was unprepared. The whole laugh class at me, our class laughed. I just had a little dyslexic moment over there. The whole class laughed at me and the teacher didn't really know how to navigate the situation. I didn't have the tools to navigate it. Created this deep humiliation wound that I've been working through where every time I get up in front of people, I'm just sweating, clammy, freeze up. And so part of that story I've had to help work through that is I need to be prepared. I need to have something written out so that when I go up and stand in front of people, I know how to say what to say and I don't freeze up. But that's never really worked for me because as I prepare a speech or have something to say and I write it out, I'm always thinking about what to say and from a place of memorization and I'm not speaking from the heart. And so when I first got my chart read, it was really fascinating. I, I didn't share this with the, with the guy that was reading my human design, but he was like, oh, really fascinating. He's like, your, your, your throat channels here and correct me if I'm wrong, or you can kind of elaborate on this when I'm done. Your throat channel, the way it's connected is you, your gift is to speak from the heart. So when you get up in front of people, and I notice this in podcasts, and it's easy, very easy for me in, in a one-on-one conversation to connect with this channel of just intuition that comes through. And I know what to say, when to say it, and it's very fluid and smooth. But when I get in front of people, that humiliation wounds keeps me from doing that. And so what I've learned is he's like, you can't prepare. You have to, when you have something to say, or you have an opportunity to speak in front of people, you have to get up there and you have to trust that you're going to know what to say, how to say it. And it's going to come through you. That's what your human design says. And when I heard that, it just released all of this like shame and humiliation. And, and, And so instead of trying to prepare and become a better public speaker, I've learned I need to trust myself and have, you know, a knowing of, you know, what I want to talk about, kind of like a topic, but to trust that I know what's going to come through and to really honor that. And so it's really helped me on my journey over the last couple of years of really stepping into that and just speaking from the heart and sharing what wants to come through. And it's really a truly a gift that I'm very grateful for now and honoring it and really allowing that to come through. Totally, totally. A couple things come up. One, the defined throat is one of the most pronounced parts of your entire chart, which means that is expression. That's where the inexperience interfaces with the world outside of you. 
So in order for you to come into energetic homeostasis, right, through this defined center that's sending out, you need to discharge energy through self-expression, whether that's literally through your voice or that's through your dress or that's through your movement and an ecstatic dance. Your expression is how you discharge energy and move into alignment and homeostasis, which also aligns to the gift that you're here to share with humanity, which is your ability to share your inner experience with the world outside of you to help people gain clarity about themselves. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, that resonates big time. Let's uh, let's go into just maybe the, the types because I think that's the easiest place. We probably should have started there, but that's the easiest place for people to kind of grasp. I think there's just a few different types of uh, types of human design. So maybe go into that and then we can kind of move on and close it up. Cool. Yeah, so I imagine a flow chart. This is my systematic way of understanding these systems. So the first question is, is your sacral defined or not? If yes, which is that red definition that you have second from the bottom, if yes, your generator. And now because there are so many generators, there is a capacity for more granularity. So you'll hear generator and manifesting generator. Fundamentally, they're generators. Define sacral. Strategy is to respond, to respond to the environment, to wait until opportunities hit your field and check what your gut says. Is it like, hmm, repelling or is it like, Ooh, and you're drawn, your energy is drawn into it. Not thinking about the mind. This is a key aspect. The mind is never the authority. So we have the type, which is how your energy interacts with the outer world. You have an authority, which is how you are meant to listen to your inner world. So with that generator piece, you respond to the unfolding of life around you and you listen to your gut. If your sacral is open, then you fall into one of three categories, either a manifester, a projector, or a reflector. A manifester is a non-energy type with a motor channel connected to the throat. The manifester strategy is to initiate. So they're the ones who speak essentially nothingness or dormant potentiality into existence. And the way that I see their roles in the collective are they can see what needs to happen next in order to bring us into more harmony and balance and alignment. So those are the two OG types, manifestors, generators. The manifestors initiate, the generators respond and bring to life the idea, the initiated concept from the manifestor. Now, when we had the complexification in 19 or 1789, when we discovered Uranus, now we move from seven centers to nine centers. Well, now we have a more complex chart. So now we have these new granularity of a projector. So a projector is a non-energy type, but not a manifester. So I, I'm a projector. And I love being a projector. Now, this might just be the, the, the bias of like, I am, so I love it. But I do because I feel like it gives me permission to be exactly who I love to be and the roles I love to play in the collective. So we're energetic middle management. So now it's like the manifestors are in the stars dreaming and seeing what's supposed to happen next. The generators are more rooted on earth, carrying out the actions and the plans, doing the building, bringing the life force 
to bring the ideas into manifest reality. The projectors are here to guide energy. So the open centers are receptive. Projectors have open sacrals. So we're receiving, we're receptive and sensitive to the life force energy in environments. So we can feel and perceive who is not enjoying what they're doing or who kind of sucks at what they're doing. So we're really great middle managers to place people specifically and especially generators to place them in positions for success. You're not doing what you love or what you're good at. So getting to the bottom of what do you love? What are you great at? And helping generators invest that life force energy more optimally and effectively. So they get a return on the results, which is satisfaction as a generator. So that's the third major type, projectors. And we're here to deeply understand systems, really understand how things work and guide in between. Manifestors are getting the downloads. Generators are carrying out the downloads. The projectors are kind of keeping tabs on the whole thing. You know, so we're great leaders because leaders need to be tuned in to who they are leading. So I really love that aspect. The final one is a reflector. Reflector has everything open. And I think of this as, if you're familiar with the book, The Giver, the, the giver is the receiver of memories, the keeper of the archive of the human experience. They are the, I'm thinking of in the movie 300, like the woman dancing on top of the mountain, the oracle. The oracle, yep. The reflectors are the oracles because they are just taking in everything from everywhere. So they are meant to be full representations and full mirrors of the environment they are inside of. One of my really good friends, she's a human design teacher and coach. She's a reflector. And I don't, I can't imagine what it's like to be a reflector to experience so sensitively everything that everybody else feels. So if you look like bottom right, where you're white, that's your solar plexus, your emotional center. So you're receptive to other people's emotions. Bottom left, your splenic center. This is survival awareness and intuition. So you are experiencing the emotions of others. You're very influenced by the feelings of what's in your environment. So just to even give an example of how to utilize your design in everyday life, this recognition of you're super sensitive to the feelings of others. Asking yourself the question often like, is this feeling natural to me? Is this a feeling that Joe tends to feel? No, this is a foreign feeling. This is uncharacteristic of Joe. Oh my goodness, it is this feeling that somebody else in my environment is feeling and I'm picking up as my own because it's in my body. Mm. I resonate with that big time and until I really started understanding that not every energy coming up within me is mine and being able to have the awareness yeah. to distinguish that has been actually really powerful because I'll be like so clean, clear and focused and like happy. And all of a sudden I'll be like, whoa, whoa, like why am I feeling so stressed and anxious in this moment? And I used to attach yeah. to those feelings as my own and then having the tools to be like, oh, this isn't mine. And then being able to move the energy out of my body rather than holding on to it is really a powerful gift. I really appreciate you breaking all that down. I know we could go for a while on this um, and I really appreciate everybody listening. And if it's something you're interested in, um, 
let me stop sharing here. If you're something you're interested, I know Jordan actually offers readings and stuff and he's obviously really passionate about it. So definitely we'll put some uh, contact information in the show notes. So if it's something you want to, you know, figure out for yourself and just really quick, one last thing. You said that 70% of the population is generators. You want to break down kind of the percentages so people can have an idea of, you know, the rarity of like the reflectors and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of my, it's the numbers. It's the measurability of things. So generators are roughly 70% of the population. Half are pure generators, half are manifesting generators, which is this capacity to respond, then see the next step, carry out the next step, see the next step. So they're kind of like snowball effect. The remaining 30%, 22-ish are projectors, 8%-ish are manifestors, and then less than 1% are reflectors. Mm. And when I think of Dunbar's number, so Dunbar's number is the ideal population size, human population tribe size, 130 to 150. In that tribe, you have one reflector, you have one oracle, you have one giver, the keeper of memory Mm. is how I see it. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And to break the math down, super easy, 12 people, eight of them are generators, three are projectors. One's a manifester. Mm, I love it. I love it. And if if you're interested in, in learning more and diving into this, definitely reach out to Jordan. I'm sure he'll love to take you through it. And um, kind of final question before we wrap up. Um, how is it? Because it's really fascinating. Just the more you're talking about this, it just resonates so much. And to to start seeing the world from this lens of human design, it's almost like seeing kind of people and situations more in an energetic way, right? Not so physical. And and you can really understand the way people are interacting. How is that understanding that uh, kind of evolved your awareness and the way you interact with reality? Yeah. So the first thing that comes up is human designs like this pair of glasses that I sometimes forget to take off. So I can often reduce someone to their type because I'm just think I'm obsessive. I have an obsessive personality. Um, one of the ways that it's really helpful is you can see where people can be in higher alignment. So when a projector has been taught that they need to work a nine to five, or they need to be the source of dance party life force, it imparts, it projects a lot of pressure to be something you're fundamentally not. So last night, for instance, I was at a Bonobo show at Red Rocks and I'm a projector and I like to be on the periphery. I like to have the full scope of things. So it didn't feel in alignment for me to be a center of attention as much as my mind was like, you need to be in the middle of it. I felt more safe and at peace and enjoy being alone on the outskirts. So in terms of when we come together in groups, Some people are better suited for guidance, like to be guides. Some are better suited to be vocal and others are better suited to take in what's happening around them. Not, I have the pressure to like, I need to say, I need to speak, I need to talk, I need to take up space. Some people, they will feel higher alignment if they gave themselves grace to do away with the story of, I have to speak to be seen. That's projector narrative. Like I need to do this or that. 
in order to be seen. But the reality is we have this very focused laser-like presence that we are seen whether we want to be or not. So it helps give people permission to be more of who they have always been. But we grew up with all these stories telling us, you got to be this, more of this, less of that. Um, So I definitely see the world through human design to uh, like an excruciating degree. And sometimes it's like, take off the lens, like take off the glasses and just be a human, just be here right now. Um, But it definitely helps put people in positions to not only succeed, but to feel more aerodynamic, to feel less resistance in social interactions or like business relationships. So it doesn't want to reduce people to be like, you're a manifester. You never have to do the dishes and you're a generator. You always have to do the heavy lifting. It's like, no, 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 no. It's not that simple, but it does help design systems for a a really great like telephone handoff of energy Mm -hmm. and ideas between one another. Yeah. Beautiful. It's definitely had a powerful impact on my life and understanding. And I've just barely scratched the surface and I really appreciate you diving in and sharing. I think one cool thing I just want to mention too is the cool thing about this, and this might fascinate a lot of you, is you can actually input two different people's uh, charts and it creates one energetic chart for a relationship. And it will actually tell you how the dynamics of your energies actually fit into one another. And we won't get too much into that because we've already kind of come up on time. And Jordan, I really appreciate you taking the time, brother, and sharing this wisdom and your passion and just the work that you're doing. I'm really grateful for our relationship and the way we've connected. Where can people find you? And if they want to learn more about human design and you know, plug anything you're working on as well, and we'll put it all in the show notes for people to check out. Totally. Yeah. So uh, best way to connect with me on Instagram at Jordan Rami. I am getting back to posting content regularly. Um, So that's a really great way. Uh, Human design, I have a Calendly sign-up sheet. So this is where I plug my availability. I open up options for people to sign up. So we'll drop in the show notes as well. And then Evolve Masculine is the biggest project that I've been working on and we've been working on. Mm Because Joe, you had come out for the last retreat last month. Uh, it's, It's a men's community, virtual community, uh, and a retreat every once in a while. But the focus is on the virtual community and the virtual offerings, being able to do embodiment workshops where we actually come into our experience and we go through the prompts in real time. Not like on your own time, go do this. It's like, do it now. Everybody is doing it. Break into small groups and share. So uh, Evolve Masculine is my way of recognizing I was deeply wounded by men and the masculine. And I had pushed away my own inner masculinity. I was scared of my own power. I was scared of my own voice for most of my life because masculinity meant abuse and control and reclaiming that inherent divine masculinity, which is space holding, which is presence, which Mm -hmm. that loving father that makes sure the family safe and provided for. So that is, is what's currently really present with me is stepping into my own inner king. And I call Evolve Masculine a king development is helping rise everybody into our king selves so we can show up as our highest, not just for those in our immediate sphere, but truly for the collective. If we're less reactive and we're more expressive and we're more grounded and embodied, we create these safe containers. Like we had started the conversation with, where does healing occur? One safety. Two, 
non-judgmental, unopinionated presence, just pure presence. And in that space of safety and presence, and we can be witnessed in our pain, witnessed in our joy and our success and our trauma. That is where we heal at the most fundamental level. So that's one of the major focuses of my life right now is, is what does being a truly embodied, integrated man look and feel like and helping bring other men together in this embodied somatic experience. Beautiful, man. I see you doing the work. I see you stepping up. And if anything that we talked about in this podcast resonates and you're, you're trying to show up and become a better version of yourself and do this work, I would highly recommend checking out The Evolved Masculine. Uh, you know, if you're see- seeking that that safety to really process and grow and evolve and learn, Jordan is definitely a man uh, to do it with. And it's really about the, the container and the safety of this building. And I know he has a lot of amazing facilitators helping him build that uh, community as well. So definitely check that out. All that will be in the show notes. Uh, We're coming to a close, but we're not done yet. If you are a premium member, stick around for the extended episode. We're going to ask Jordan what his secret to the universe is. If you are not a premium member and it's something that you are interested in supporting this podcast in that way, it is just $7 a month. There's a link in the show notes and you get uh, access to extended episodes like this, as well as a bunch of other amazing content. If you don't feel called to support this podcast financially, and you really love it, and you want to support it for free, a really simple way to do that is just leave a five-star review, say a few nice words. And if there's anything in this podcast that resonated with you, you think it might have a positive impact on somebody that you know, go ahead and share it with them. Uh, would, you know, that's really what the intention behind having these conversations and bringing on these amazing guests is really to share this journey of healing, being open, vulnerable, and creating curiosity within the collective so that we can all do this healing work together. Jordan, thank you so much, brother. Thank you, brother.